Hi, I'm Will from London and I've been a San Lorenzo fan for about seven or eight years now. I started um, a Facebook group called San Lorenzo English and I've got a, a Twitter handle which is um, the same or it's specifically Cuervo Inglés which means English Crow. Los Cuervos are San Lorenzo fans and um, yeah, I've kind of got a small Twitter community around that and that's kind of my main way of, of interacting with other fans these days and, and yeah, supporting them from afar. Hi Will, how are you doing? I'm very good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad you made the time for this. No, thank you. I mean, I love talking about football and I definitely love talking about San Lorenzo, so um, any excuse to be honest. <laughs> the work that you've been doing, I'm really interested in that. But before that, the main question for this podcast how and why San Lorenzo? San Lorenzo for me started about seven or eight years ago. Um, I was living in London. Um, I was quite young, lived with my parents. So I had a bit of money to save up and, and think about living in another city and maybe starting to learn Spanish. And then I kind of started being drawn to South America. That kind of closed in Argentina when I learned about its culture, which seemed fantastic. A massive part of that is an absolute fanatism and hysteria around football um, so then I started reading about the clubs and obviously everyone knows kind of Boca Juniors and River Plate and I'm, I'm not usually one to go for the biggest clubs probably because I'm a Charlton fan here in the UK so they're a bit, they're a bit smaller I like the underdogs um, then I started reading about San Lorenzo who had this incredible support a very interesting story which kind of had a lot of parallels with the history of Charlton and um, yeah, then I moved there for about six months to Buenos Aires in, in 2014, started going to games regularly. And, and from there, it was just a total kind of addiction. I felt like a, like a five-year-old when you first see football for the first time, you just want to buy the shirts and absorb as much of it as possible and learn the chance. It was crazy. And it's just kind of all started from there, really. Two big fans that keep getting mentioned, uh, one is the Pope and the... <laughs> The other is Vigo Mortensen. Yeah, quite a, a diverse little selection. They they always come up. And um, and yeah, by all accounts, they seem very kind of legitimate fans. I mean, I'm not sure if the Pope is allowed to watch television. So maybe his is more of a uh, just hear the scores kind of relationship with the club. But Vigo Mortensen seems very keen. And often he'll turn up on the red carpet to film premieres with like a little San Lorenzo badge or some kind of red and blue, the club colours, like lining in his waistcoat and stuff like that. So... Yeah, proper, proper Cuervos. I think in, in one of those clips that you sent me, Jonathan Wilson was talking about how uh, the Pope, he flashes the the score from the back of the Pope movie. <laughs> yeah, there's been yeah. a few of those as well. And often there'll be kind of like when people come and see him in public, there's always like an Argentine in the crowd with the San Lorenzo connection or like shout the latest score at him, give like a Vamos San Lorenzo or something <laughs> like that. And he'll always, always respond. And it's it's great. I mean, you can't have a much of a kind of a better representative of your club than one of the most powerful religious figures in the world. It's quite a funny one. <laughs> so the, that trip that you went on, tell me more about that. Yeah, so, so that was, yeah, it was, it was quite a casual thing, really, just to kind of, um, I was working a little bit as an intern for a company, um, but it was kind of just mainly to learn Spanish and just enjoy kind of living in a different city for about six months. But then the kind of San Lorenzo element of that completely took hold. Um because you start going, you I mean, it's quite um, it's quite absorbing just reading about the club, and you get sucked into those YouTube videos, which get shared a lot on Facebook and Twitter of just like classic Argentine supporters going mad, but with loads of kind of rhythm and melody and soul, which some maybe you don't see as much in maybe like Eastern Europe or Turkey or North Africa, which are crazy, but it's almost a bit it's quite brutish and loud and fierce. Tribal. Argentina's got this almost like yeah, exactly. Argentina's got this odd kind of melody and it's almost like spiritualness about it which i find interesting and san lorenzo are known for being at kind of the heart of that they're known as the main kind of creators of the songs often like the first time you hear the songs that spread around argentina and south america the first time is in san lorenzo um and so you're going to the game for the first time and i was watching the game is kind of taking place in front of me slightly to the left i was at the edge of the stand and then the main san lorenzo the popular which is like the kind of ultras stand behind the goal to my right and I was probably spending more time looking to the right at the fans than I was at the game because they're jumping up and down. They've got the all like just flag striped absolutely everywhere. There's flares going off. There's drums. There's a whole band. It's it's insane. 
and like I said it's very kind of melodic and tuneful as well it's almost like being at a gig like a concert it was it was mad so yeah once I went once I knew this had to be like a regular thing um and then I started to meet kind of people in that in that process always a bit fascinated like why is this English guy supporting San Lorenzo and going to the games and but it was, it was, it was a great thing and uh, it just just kind of grew from there really so they, how open were they to you coming in and to be honest very because there's times I'm a little bit cautious because mm. of the English Argentine rivalry which is yeah, definitely yeah. stronger from an Argentine point of view yeah. than English point of view they talk about the Falklands Las Malvinas mm. the islands because of the war in the 80s all the time is is a horrific mm. kind of episode for Argentina um and then there's obviously a massive football rivalry that's kind of related to that as well so I was a bit cautious but I think I was always very invested in in the club and interested and curious and maybe they recognized that I was just I was kind of that kind of innocent curiosity and always just took me in and they're just kind of fascinated with the fact that this gringo white guy hadn't gone to like Boca and River like every other kind of tourist in the city and he was he was supporting San Lorenzo it was kind of a novelty thing and always like so so welcoming and um yeah you do feel it's cliche stuff oh you feel part of a family but I absolutely did and in a city where you can feel quite foreign where the foreign people are a bit separate from the Argentine locals it made you feel part of a community and a family and yeah it's probably the best part of it to be honest how did the twitter handle start the twitter handle came back so from yeah i came back from argentina after six months after that initial first trip and um and i had all this kind of interest and energy around san lorenzo streaming all the games and then you'd hit full time and you're like i, I don't know what to do i had no one to talk uh, about it with because I didn't have many close friends with San Lorenzo at the time. I didn't speak great Spanish after my first trip, so that, that barrier was there as well. And so I was like, oh, I'll set up a, a Facebook group. I'll just do little map summaries. If like 10 of my friends who are kind of semi-interested follow it, and then maybe a handful of, of Argentines who know English um, can follow it, of just kind of a weird curiosity, then that's fine for me. And I can just discuss things, do little news updates and little match reports and whatever. And it started from that. And um, and yeah, so I think that went up to about 2000 on Facebook. But then I stopped using Facebook um, and Twitter seemed a more natural home. And um, and yeah, I'm kind of more active on there now. It's kind of fits and starts because I think as I've gone on longer, it's less relying on social media for all my San Lorenzo interactions like it used to be. And I've got like, um, say, three or four very close friends who are big San Lorenzo fans. So you can kind of like get your discussion energy out through whatsapp and all that kind of phone calls and stuff so yeah but twitter's kind of where it is now and it's been nice people still get kind of fascinated and getting your dms and be like why on earth do you support san lorenzo if you're an englishman from london and it's yeah it always kind of sparks that curiosity that's how i found you <laughs> yeah there you go yeah it's a way it's good in that way and there's not there's actually a little sub community now of um kind of specifically english-speaking supporters of argentine clubs There's this guy, I think a lot of people just sort of find them and playing like football manager or something. There's a guy who sports uh, Lanus, who are a very small club in Argentina, or pretty small club, um, who tweets in English about them. He's one of the originals. And then there's guys, obviously, River, Boca, Racing, Independiente, and they all kind of communicate with each other. And they're very, like, friendly, nice guys. And it's a nice shared thing. Like, you feel less alone when it's, you know, late on a Sunday night. No one in your country, no one you really knows is, is live streaming, you know, mm. Belgrano against Tucumán in, in the Argentine League. But, you know, these guys on Twitter are. So it's quite a nice little community of nerdy kind of um, Argentine Superliga supporters, I guess. How are you watching the games then? There was a fantastic thing when I first started um, supporting from England called Football Para Todos, which is football for everyone. And it was a government funded thing which live streamed in like HD every single game from their Premier League all over the world. So that was brilliant. Now it's a bit harder. That scheme ended and you kind of have to go the normal way of like um, less reliable streaming sites. Um, and also there's a thing called Fanities now, which I'd recommend if people like um, South American football in kind of the States or the UK or I think all across Europe. And it's like a little $10 a month subscription to watch yeah. the Argentine League. So I've got that now and, and that and that's good. That's a yeah, a crucial thing that kind of keeps me in touch with with all the games. What what's the uh, time difference like? The time difference varies on English clock between three and four hours, which isn't too bad. Yeah. People I know people who have it worse. I've got friends in um New Zealand, for example, who are a big Arsenal fan like yourself. And uh 
yeah, it's some crazy, crazy times. The thing is, the equivalent of the Champions League in South America, the Libertadores, they play quite late over there. So that's your late shift. That's your typical like two or three a.m. on a work night, which is tough. Mm. And I had to work out the kind of Libertadores nap, which is when I go to bed at about 10, set an alarm for about two, watch the game and then go to bed after after about two hours and wake up again, which is quite hard. But you've got to do it because they're, they're the biggest games. I was doing that, trying to watch uh, the Europa League. It would be. At yeah, that must be like tough. That. Oh, man, it's one thirty, and eleven thirty is like it's like a dream. If it's, it yeah, starts yeah, at 11. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's part of your routine. No yeah. complaints. Yeah, that's tough. Oh, 2.30 is killer. And if it goes to extra time, oh, fuck, then you're done for. I know, I know. But that's part of the community as well. It's part of all these people who support teams from a distance. The classic thing you relate to, like going into the office, all kind of sleepy, semi-hungover because they've been watching obscure football the other side of the world. But it can kind of add to it. If you're doing well, if you've got a great result, I can remember a few when we've like, a big Libertadores game. We beat Flamengo, who just won the Libertadores, huge club from Brazil. We beat them at the 94th minute to qualify from the group stage. And you're tearing around your house at like 3.30 a.m. Try not to wake up housemates, yeah. just like stifled cheering like that. And you're actually knackered. Then you can't get back to sleep because you've got the adrenaline buzz from the game. And you just get another two hours and you wake up. But then those days you don't mind because you've got that buzz from a few hours earlier during the night. And it's, yeah, it's kind of the the fun elements of it sometimes if, if you're doing well so tell me who is your club legend San Lorenzo club legend um there's a number 10 called uh Pipi Romagnoli Leandro Romagnoli um he's quite a fun legend because I like he's very personal to San Lorenzo if you watch just Argentine football as a neutral he's he's nowhere near as good as like a Riquelme who's your classic number 10 hero from kind of Argentine domestic football of the last kind of 20, 30 years. Um, he's not as big as like, like Independiente have exported, Aguero, Racing, another rival club have exported, Diego Milito, who did so well at Inter. Um, they've, all got, they've all got players like that have really kind of shone. San Lorenzo haven't really got that so much. Angel Correa is doing quite well at Atleti, uh, Madrid. Um, he, he, he was playing for San Lorenzo as a kind of 19-year-old when I first started supporting. He was brilliant. But Romagnoli is like the, the local club hero. He went, he played for them like two or three times he came back to us. Um, local guy, like a fan from, a, from when he was a child. And that means that's a very Argentine thing, I think. People, I mean, everyone's got around the world their identification with the local club, but it's, you, it's very known when it's a, a local guy who plays for you in Argentina and they always tend to come back, even if like Romagnoli played for Sporting Lisbon, did quite well, but it was always going to come back um, and you get these homecomings, which are great and just kind of adds to the kind of affection and um, idolization, I guess, of these players. And yeah, kind of a very busy number 10, gets around the pitch, quite aggressive, heart on sleeve. You know, if you had like games where we're like, we're about to win the title in 2013, he gets subbed off in 88 minutes. He's crying as he comes off the pitch, just from the nerves and the emotion. He's on the bench crying his eyes out. You know, he scored um, a goal against like a local rival called Huracan mm. in a game I just travelled over, especially for in 2015. And he's like, tearing off his shirt, his tattoos up his arms. He's just absolutely just like pulsing with energy, throws himself into supporters. Like he really feels like another supporter. And um, so, yeah, he has a lot of affection um, among supporters and it's very easy to kind of to like. And I've got a, a San Lorenzo shirt with 10 Romagnoli on the back. He's a, he's a bit of a hero. It's always, I find that it surprises me how much loyalty means to fans. Everyone who talks about, they don't talk about the best players. They don't talk about the most talented guys. Everyone talks about that one guy and his loyalty each and every time. It's true, isn't it? I guess that's the most relatable thing yeah. as a supporter because seeing someone like a Riquelme, like what they do on a pitch is, is just astronomical. It's so far away from what you could ever seek to achieve that there's no kind of comparison. There's nothing to really relate to that closely, even though you love watching it. With a loyal player, it's the nearest you get to a fan, isn't it? He's the fan representative on the pitch. There's someone who just throws themselves into the crowd when they score, like celebrates a last minute winner like you would on the terraces. Someone who says the right things in interviews and seems kind of sincere with it, you know, talks about the supporters, talks about a passion for the club, talks about history, identity, community with a kind of um, with a kind of like authority. And you think it's not just sound bites, like they mean it. 
fans love that. And if they keep coming back and they spend a lot of time at the club, it's, yeah, you, you can't help but adore them. And yeah, whether it's San Lorenzo, which obviously even as a non-Argentine, the guys who like just keep coming back and identify with the club so closely, like they do feel like one of yours, even though they're from another country, the other side of the world. So I guess that's part of it with, with Romagnoli and, and, and all the players, really, I guess. So what's your earliest memory of the club? earliest memory was 2013 um just as i was kind of the, the months leading up to my trip to argentina so i was reading about the club and then i discovered that football paratoras thing where you could watch the games free online and i started to watch um the games at home on kind of a sunday night and it it was a great great timing because they had had some terrible years they nearly got relegation in 2011 2012 um terrible financial difficulties a mess absolute mess Things can change so quickly in Argentina, though, which is kind of the beauty of it. And by 2013, they're suddenly fighting for a title. And, yeah, one of the first games I watched was was literally a title decider. They're playing Vélez Sarsfield, uh, which is Maro Zarate's club. He played in the Premier League in Serie A. Um, and it was nil-nil. Um, if it stays nil-nil, San Lorenzo are uh, champions. They win their first title in years. And there's a bit of a rivalry between the two clubs, so a bit of extra spice there. And if Vélez score, then the title's theirs. So it's like a straight shootout. Crazy, hardly happens. And then about the 90th minute, it drops in the San Lorenzo box. Vélez player connects with like an incredible volley. It's whistling towards the top corner. And the San Lorenzo keeper, Torrico, sends up a hand and pulls off like an incredible reflex save, which is just a title-winning save. It's like the equivalent of a goal in a save just to clinch the title. And I'm watching home going... And I can barely, I can, I can't believe it. And my Spanish was was non-existent at that time. I'm trying to kind of capture all I can hear is the commentator going absolutely mental. Don't really understand his words, but I'm like, if I'm understanding this as I think it is, he's just won San Lorenzo the title, and it's kind of unfolding, and you're you're gathering what you can, and yeah, and it was maybe the drama of that as like an early memory. And the first time I really watched a proper game was kind of what hooked me in and maybe made it a kind of weird destiny. Um so by the time a few months later when I arrived to Argentina, they were champions of Argentina and and then that year they won the Libertadores, the Champions League equivalent for the first time in their history. So I'd walked into like the best year by far in like 100 years of the history of the club. So it was it was great timing. So tell me who are their biggest rivals the biggest rivals would be two teams the local team i mentioned a minute ago which is huracan mm. hurricane literally um which is one of the reasons why san lorenzo's nickname is el ciclon the cyclone like <laughs> the oh. cyclone against the hurricane um but that that is the classic derby the clasico and it's very the much they call it like the clasico del barrio the neighborhood clasico because they're so close to each other in buenos aires those two clubs and you get a lot of kind of across friends and family kind of um cross supporting of the two clubs but huracan are quite poor and um and san lorenzo are kind of like i think about 34 wins up in terms of their history head to head another thing i like about argentina that always counts where you are with a head to head so you know like I don't know even if you're playing for yeah. centuries and centuries there's always a, a marker of kind of who's coming out on top. So that being so one-sided a lot of um San Lorenzo fans I know would would take the Boca Juniors game more seriously. Mm. Boca Juniors is a big obviously their Clásico is River but um after that is kind of it's probably San Lorenzo. And there's a weird thing San Lorenzo is the only club in Argentina to have a better head-to-head against Boca. Um it's the only club to have, to have done that so it's a weird bogey team for Boca Juniors and It's uh yeah that that's that's a great fixture and they're quite easy to dislike Boca when you get involved um with Argentine football and follow it more closely mm-hmm. they're very there's something quite obnoxious about them i guess what all the big clubs around the world have when you've got that mass support you get all the press attention all that media attention there's a kind of pompousness and arrogance and the more you learn about Boca when you get past the lovely kit and the lovely stadium and Maradona and Raquelme and all that you go these look horrible and you really <laughs> want to beat them so it's it's a good derby i was watching one of those videos that you sent me and um, as soon as it starts man i mean it was making the hair on my arm stand it was it was amazing that must have been so amazing yeah it's exactly that it's so much more because it's always a big part of what I love about going to watch football here I'm a Charlton fan and the songs and the atmosphere you know it's what it's all about but it's something so different which I mentioned earlier is there's that kind of melody and it's just spiritualness and even when you don't know the words even if you don't speak Spanish you go wow what are these guys on like it's got another level and like depth to it and which is great and we're not talking like 
two lines that repeated or like a little verse like these are full songs like verse chorus but sometimes changing verses they go on and on and on and it's funny enough there's one of the, the methods i used to learn spanish was to find a song on youtube i get the same thing and you literally got goosebumps on your arm you see the kennel zoom in on a fan a fan's almost crying in the terraces they're singing it they throw their arms forward as they do in argentina they kind of flick their wrists in this weird kind of passionate gesture and it, it draws you in and then yeah, I start looking up the lyrics to the songs, which are usually somewhere on kind of social media. And I learned a lot of some of my first words were just San Lorenzo, today we must win, we hate Huracan, we hate Boca, they, you know, suck or whatever. <laughs> it was like Argentine profanity and kind of like barrio neighborhood speak were kind of all the first phrases I learned because I was learning San Lorenzo songs. And, um, and then as I went along, um, I'd noticed that all these songs appeared to be starting in San Lorenzo and I wonder if it was just like a uh, like a boast of like San Lorenzo like, oh we invented that song we invented that song a bit like um you know just trying to be maybe what Liverpool are over here or um Celtic maybe those kind of clubs that are famous for it but San Lorenzo really are and I started digging into it and I wrote and I wrote a um, an article for a magazine called Mundial and yeah you, you trace the origins of these songs and it was a real um San Lorenzo thing they've got this creativity and then I met this group which is kind of connected a little bit to the Barra Brava which is the hooligans but they're kind of more focused on the atmosphere rather than I guess the violence and um yeah they were called Escuela de Tablones which is school of the terraces because that was kind of a nickname given to San Lorenzo being the masters of the terrace song and um and yeah they spend half their time just like writing songs practicing songs getting together with their band because they've got trumpets drums all that kind of stuff and making sure there's always kind of new fresh interesting passionate songs coming out of san lorenzo and yeah that's that's one of the best parts of, of the whole experience for sure i mean even the dullest games there's always that the songs coming out and the atmosphere and, and the drums and about two hours before a game they'll gather outside the stands with all the drums echoing through reverberating around you and have like kind of like a concert just like jamming but then like bouncing and the group's getting bigger and bigger and bigger so then by the time it gets like 10 to kickoff 10 minutes before kickoff that group under the stand literally starts bouncing and they bounce all the way into the terraces and take their place at the front of the stand behind the goal and then the, kind of kicks the whole stadium into life and this weird kind of routine this musical routine which I was just loving and yeah so it's it's a major part of the experience when you're watching games in Argentina probably the best part because the football isn't always brilliant to be fair it's a bit scary when you when you look at it because this whole section is just jumping and you wonder like you, you know they're not sitting and they don't don't seem to be sitting throughout the game right not to especially behind the goal the mass kind of area which i guess most people call like ultras area mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah it's pure terrace so there's no seats anyway and it's kind of like a smog of like marijuana in the air um, everyone's bouncing everyone's singing and it is when it's jam jam packed like so so busy it is so if your first few games quite nervy especially if you're not like um, you don't really know the form you haven't been there before I took a friend to that derby game it's the first San Lorenzo Huracan game for like five years and we got in late and we didn't really know what we were doing. So rather than kind of getting out of the way of the Barra Brava, the hooligans are going a bit further away. We just ended up walking straight into the middle of it. Yeah. So my friend's hanging on to the kind of um, flag kind of banner thing above him because he thought he literally thought the stand might give way underneath him because it trembles. It's a yeah. huge concrete structure, but it trembles beneath you. And it's like when you're on a trampoline and sometimes you catch someone else's bounce yeah. or someone catches yours and you get these weird rhythms beneath you and you can fall and then you have avalanches, avalanches where someone goes and everyone goes and they can be quite dangerous. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people like, say if you're just visiting Argentina for the first time, will go, don't be in the popular, don't be in that space behind the goal because it can be quite dangerous. But once you get to know the form, it's kind of where you want to be. Like I loved being in there. It's, it's just it's an absolute carnival every single game, um, even though it probably is a, a different situation in terms of health and safety standards yeah. compared to what you see over here in England. And energy. I mean, how, how long can you keep doing that? Because it's exhausting. <laughs> and when you do it for the full day, which they do, it's, it's absolutely exhausting. So I remember the first time I did that, that kind of full day experience was actually in Morocco. Because um, San Lorenzo were at the Club World Cup yeah. because the year they won the Libertadores, they went on to play the Club World Cup in Marrakesh and played Madrid in the final. 
and I went out there with a few English friends because it's quite easy to get to. I was living in London at the time. Um, and yeah, 14,000 Argentine fans travel to Marrakesh. It's absolutely incredible, kind of using like two year loans, paying back in, in um, kind of installments and selling cars and houses to make it like it, it was mad. And we met some of these guys who kind of took us under their wing for the, for the day of the final. And the kickoff was at something like 9 p.m. And we met at like 1 p.m. And the drinking's already in full flow on the kind of the terraces of the hotels drinking 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 then a kind of um like a tuk-tuk mm-hmm. open taxi type thing to the stadium everyone's hanging out the back singing shouting and then you get in the stadium which they like to in argentina about like two hours before kickoff three hours sometimes for a big game and it's constant pie all the way through and you've drunk so much <laughs> you've often smoked a lot as well and then you're screaming and singing all the time that by, by the time kickoff comes like you're kind of knackered <laughs> because of the buzz of the game and the extra kind of energy burst that comes through that it kind of carries you through but there's been a few times where i've been dead at the end of big matches and i'd be like one time i just walked out of the ground and vomited on the side <laughs> of the roadside because it had been so intense and i drank so much before and i think i've been out the night before and then after all the bouncing and singing and shouting and drinking i was finished um and it's yeah it's a very kind of visceral heavy experience but that's that's what makes it great to be honest like i love it you were you were mentioning that they they took out loans and stuff mortgages on their houses yeah i mean yeah so that's i mean the argentine economy is kind of perennially in crisis and so a trip from buenos aires to marrakesh it was something like three stops um and almost like a day of traveling incredibly expensive and people don't have that money mm. so, but the club world cup in south america is the biggest thing you can imagine it's bizarre in europe they don't no one really takes it seriously but since forever since it used to be the intercontinental cup it's their chance to kind of shine against the european big dogs mm. and they take it so seriously you have three months four months of just trying teams in preparation for the club world cup so the fans have the same mentality and if they are like river did the same they took about 15000 to tokyo which is so far Japan. Um, and yeah, people I know who just think that I have to go to this this game. And I remember seeing adverts for, yeah, two-year loans where people pay back every single month, two years, just to pay for like a, a flights and accommodation package to Marrakesh. And I know people who sold cars. I know people who kind of left jobs because they couldn't get the time off, but they, they weren't going to miss out. So they just quit. And that's the kind of that's the kind of hysteria you get in Argentina with their football clubs. It's it's incredible. Wow, I mean, you really can't understand it. But at the same time, that passion that everyone talks about, uh, it it sets that so much into a context of what their lives are like and how much this really means to them. It means everything. And I'm coming from. Um, the UK we always think oh you know home of football yeah everyone copied English support we kind of the, the kind of um, gatekeepers of football culture if you like and no one's more passionate than us and it's just nonsense mm. I mean I think already Germany and, and France and definitely um, places like Algeria Morocco Turkey all with much better support my South America is my favorite and particularly mm. Argentina um, because you've got that passion, but you've got that very kind of cultural part of it. They use really cool like rock songs and pop songs yeah. to fashion their songs. And when all that passion's going into it, it defines people so much. They're very intense people anyway. That's very Argentine. They just you do everything to the maximum, and just football's just another one of that. If you go for like a coffee in Argentina, it's not like a casual thing. You're there for like four hours having the most intense animated conversation until like two in the morning. If you go out, you know the clubs don't really wind up until like eight a.m into a sunlight you're going out you're dancing all night um and then you go to the football and it's just another thing you're drinking smoking jumping singing and giving absolutely everything so it's just this like give everything you've got to any social activity you do and football's probably the biggest part of that and yeah i think that's why you get the the scenes that you see in argentine stadiums of just like pure passion it's yeah it's remarkable so you're mentioning the similarities between Charlton and San Lorenzo, their stadium, them losing their stadium and then getting it back. Yeah, that was actually the main reason which I think hooked me into San Lorenzo when I was reading about the different histories of the Argentine clubs. Because what really defines Charlton uh, here in southeast London is the fact that we lost our stadium in the mid-1980s and we had the kind of, um, just because we were just bankrupt as a club, completely mismanaged. And we had the kind of embarrassment of had to play our rivals, Crystal Palace, and playing at West Ham's ground and had no stadium. And we nearly lost the club because the support just fell off a cliff. People weren't going and people just thought it would expire, become like what Wimbledon did before getting replaced by MK Dons. But 
the fans, not only were they the, the dedicated core which stood by the club and not only just committed and protesting and putting pressure on, they're very smart and they set up um, our home, our ground is called the Valley. They set up a, a political party called the Valley Party, which is a one policy party and ran in local elections and won 15,000 votes. It was absolutely incredible. So they started taking really seriously and that really got their campaign going. They started getting more investment and eventually got Charlton back to the Valley to our home ground in 1992. And so our home ground has like an extra significance for us and it's in all the Charlton songs and it's very like close to our hearts that like we never want to leave the valley after what happened. And then I was reading about San Lorenzo and the same thing happened to them in the late 1970s. Mismanagement, um, no money, and then kind of exploited at the time by the Argentine dictatorship, which said, oh, we'll use this, the grounds of the stadium for kind of social development and whatever. They never did. They sold it to a, um, a French multinational supermarket. And so San Lorenzo, look at this homeless club, which Charlton used to be, but San Lorenzo have still never been able to return home, even if their kind of campaigns have been just as strong, if not stronger, for all these years. They've got a, a kind of a new home now, but it's in a separate neighbourhood. It's not the same as Boedo, which is the home neighbourhood traditionally of San Lorenzo. And, um, and yeah, they're still campaigning. And the main thing the fans have done the last few years is a thing to, to buy back the, the, the territory, the, the mm-hmm. ground, of where the stadium was by selling like a symbolic meter square to the fans. So I bought that, I've got an own kind of technically, hypothetically own a meter squared of, of the, te- the ground where San Lorenzo once used to play until 1979. And they've managed to buy up the ground and actually remove that French multinational Carrefour, the supermarket from that um, piece of territory. So it's kind of all in place for a return. And finally, this campaign of going on for decades to get San Lorenzo back to Boedo is nearing a completion, but nothing's ever simple in Argentina and they're still lacking the finance to actually now build the stadium on top of the, the territory which they've run back. But this incredible fan campaign to like get them home was was is it hooked you in, in anyway. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. And it was so similar to what happened to Charlton that it, it just it really drew me in. And I think, yeah, that's that's kind of where it began to a large degree. It's a proper uh, neighborhood, community-based club in the way that they function, in the way that they, even the way that they celebrate their wins and everything about it. I was amazed. And I'm, that's exactly it. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly clear. I think every club or most clubs around the world like to say, oh, we, very, we represent this neighborhood and, you know, we're the local team and all that kind of stuff. But it's never as literal. I've never found such a literal kind of manifestation of that as San Lorenzo in this barrio called Boedo. And it's a big club. It's one of the big five in Argentina. So they've got thousands and thousands of supporters all over the country. But there's such an attachment to this neighbourhood. And it's it's they still do so many kind of social projects in the area. Um, and you walk through the streets and there's red and blue everywhere. There's beautiful murals of like old players and old teams. And then just kind of like... Um, just figures associated with the community in San Lorenzo and you walk through this neighborhood and even though the football stadium still isn't there it feels such a San Lorenzo neighborhood and when I was learning those songs and looking up the lyrics and translating them all those years ago this Boedo this home neighborhood and vamos a volver we're going to return it kept coming every single song and it was so it was so apparent in everything they were kind of saying and singing as supporters it yeah you couldn't help but notice it they're so closely identified with it um, so when they go back, it will be incredible. P- people will be losing their heads. People will just be in floods of tears. Um, it will be the most like ridiculous scene of uh, euphoria and passion and emotion that you'll ever see. Hopefully it can happen and, and hopefully I can be there. I think I've got a little card, which is because I've bought that metre squared of the kind of turf um, that hopefully will give me some kind of rights to maybe get a ticket for that first game back whenever it will be. But we'll see. Lovely. And how, how did you do that? How did you, when you were there in Argentina? And... I actually did it when I was in, in London um, and I saw the campaign and I think in Argentine pesos is, 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 is very, it's pretty expensive. You know, it's a big purchase to get like a, enough ground for a football stadium. Translated to pounds, it was quite pricey. It was probably over hundred pounds, but it wasn't crazy. And I thought I can do this and I'd love to kind of support. And it's a story I love. I'm now being part of this kind of club and community. If I can contribute, then brilliant. And I know knowing the power of that and the importance of that because of the Charlton story, I felt very invested in it. And so, yeah, I brought that meter squared. You just kind of do it online. You fill out a form. And then um, and then you get uh, a, when I was in Argentina a year later, I picked up my card. It says Socio Refundador, um, which is kind of, yeah, um, being someone who invested in that, uh, like a partner of that project. And um, 
and yeah sometimes that gives you rights to certain uh, tickets for like competitive games which are very popular and um it's i guess it's a bit of a badge of honor for the loyal fans as well and yeah. i think um yeah no it's, it's a nice it's a nice thing to have a nice thing to kind of be a part of i guess players who you feel didn't get their due while at the club um to be honest in argentina these days if you've got talent you you'll get your dues and you'll get a platform because not as much talent coming through in the the Argentine Superliga isn't that high on quality but there's a guy called Chimi Avila who's doing so well in La Liga at the moment um for Osasuna I think um and he's been linked with like Barcelona and some of the biggest clubs in La Liga and he wasn't even getting a game for San Lorenzo it was bizarre I didn't think he's kind of like quick fairly skillful but I didn't really see it leading anywhere and he kind of left quietly a few years ago the next thing he's absolutely smashing in La Liga so to be fair he didn't get his dues um and then um yeah i think i'd really like to play called uh, tino costa there's a young guy called hector vishalba who did quite well in mls but no to be honest if you if you've got the quality you'll get your chance for the sunrise of these days so i i couldn't say there there's lots of players who you know slipped through the net and and haven't got their dues because they usually get a go young players who you are looking forward to seeing more of sunrise at the moment um do have one of like the hot properties of Argentine football a guy called Adolfo Geish quite a like german kind of name and him i think he must have that kind of heritage and he's a big kind of 6 foot 6 6 foot 7 kind of guy fair haired so not the typical kind of like kind of small diminutive dark haired skillful argentine that you used to see he's a big number 9 but he's got good feet as well and yeah he's he's been fantastic and really stood out when you have that physical presence you see this big guy coming on he's only like 18 years old you think hang on this could be something and he started delivering straight away he's always chipped in with goals for the first team he became the kind of first choice striker kind of in the last year or so um club bruges were close to buying him i think is it inter were recently linked and everton in the uk um so is that kind of player like the next to be moved out mm-hmm. to one of those kind of kind of mid-level european club and he did really well for argentine youth teams as well they take that very seriously over there the under 20s get a lot of attention and gaish has been scoring a lot of goals for them so i think people will be seeing that name in a, in a few years and and yeah i think he'll do quite well in europe adolfo gaish uh, there was another name that he put down julian julian palacos palacios he's a very good little player more in the traditional argentine mold very short skillful number 10 really busy nice technique and the supporters really love it when those players come through they're always just like yearning for this new number 10 i guess in that kind of messy mold yeah. even more traditionally that kind of riquelme mold i know mm-hmm. i keep mentioning riquelme but he really is like the figure over there he represents yeah. so much of what they love about football this kind of nonchalant but very at the same time busy player who's just constantly circulating picking up off midfielders picking up of defenders buzzing around everywhere getting in the pockets and palacios looks like he could be that kind of figure for san lorenzo but um yeah he he does look good there's a long way to go and it, and it's hard to tell because he's a young boy and he's not physically developed because he's short but palacios could be and his brother plays for the first team as well they've come up as a little duo so maybe they'll be players to kind of shine in in argentina in the next few years and maybe make the big european switch a game that left you elated and a game that has left you disappointed a game that left me elated there's, there's been loads san lorenzo they're called san lorenzo del almagro which is their barrio and they're called over there sometimes san lorenzo de los milagros yeah. which is san lorenzo of the miracles because they're known for having these ridiculous like blockbuster last minute winners and dramatic goals like i was telling you about the way they won the title and these yeah and a lot of drama when they won the libertadores in 2014 um so they yeah they're, they're quite good for giving you those mad elation uh, moments which Charlton never seemed to do for me apart from one last year when we won the playoffs um but yeah the big one for me because I was actually there rather than just streaming it from home which is kind of me with San Lorenzo 90% of the time it was on my kind of second trip out there and it was my first month of my return and we played like the it's called the supercopa so the winners of the league play the winners of the cup we played Boca Juniors and it's not like the charity shield in english they take this game so seriously it's 
it's like a kind of FA Cup final equivalent almost. Mm-hmm. It's another piece of silverware. Fans pack out in number. It's a big, big deal. And um, made a big trip up because Argentina is massive. I did it over kind of two separate trips, but it's something like probably like an eight, ten hour coach up to the city of Cordoba in the middle of Argentina. And um, yeah, we played Boca Juniors and Boca are always slight favourites because they're the bigger and usually better club. But they've got this weird mentality against San Lorenzo and, and that, it happened again that day. Boiling hot night. I was there with a couple of friends and um, San Lorenzo outstanding and won 4-0 in a final. It absolutely blew them away. Um, there's about 20,000 San Lorenzo fans behind the goal. Most of them made the journey from Buenos Aires. An absolute delirium. And generally played great football. There's a couple of like long-range perlers in there and, and all the kind of taunting of, of Boca, which always happens when we beat them. That was incredible. I've hardly had such a buzz from a game, really. And in terms of disappointment, probably one of us, probably a night in my flat when I used to live in North London, about 3am, we got beaten by Lanus in the Libertadores, the Champions League equivalent. Um, it was on penalties in the end. And we'd won the first leg 2-0. And I think we we're heading for a semi-final against River. So another big game against another Argentine club. And you know, it's in your hands. I think we'd lost our lead within um, 10 minutes. Um, and yeah, 2-0 down, it stayed level. And we ended up losing on penalties, which is gutting. And there was another one when I was out there, which actually springs to mind. And it had an extra poignancy because we lost to Chapacoense, the Brazilian club, which had the tragic plane accident. So we, we played them in Brazil um, and we lost, again, as level. It was 1-1 and 0-0. So they won on away goals. So it's 0-0, the second leg in Chapacoense. I was watching, I was actually in Rio on a separate trip because I was living in Argentina and just sort of nipped across with a friend for a weekend. And I was watching the game and in the last minute, um, San Lorenzo have a chance, drops in the box, San Lorenzo have a massive chance to win it and go into the final. And it was missed, it was blasted straight at the keeper's chest, defended absolutely for a Chapacoense get to the final. Three days later, they're making their flight out for that final and the plane goes down. And it's when that, that terrible accident, um, was it all but three died in the, yeah. in the accident? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so from this kind of footballing disappointment, this absolute tragedy it was like a very weird mix of emotions and football completely flies out the window it's irrelevant and the disappointment of what you felt watching the match feels irrelevant but I kept thinking that chance at the last minute and if Angelieri the San Lorenzo defender who missed the chance blasted in the back of the net Chapacuense never on that plane the accident's never happening and it's San Lorenzo going up there so it's it's mad when you think of it like that but that definitely is an all-round kind of disappointment into kind of horror tragedy moment or I think I'll always remember I think I've actually found a couple of San Lorenzo fans in London because yes it's so rare you'd never see a San Lorenzo shirt in in the street you might see the occasional Boca shirt the occasional River shirt but San Lorenzo is so niche that there's very few fans outside Argentina and I was just on a lunch break from work um, up in North London and there's a guy just running down the street headphones in on his run and he's wearing a San Lorenzo shirt and I couldn't believe it and I thought if there's a San Lorenzo fan why don't I know about him we've got our own tiny community here in London like what's going on here so I literally ran after him <laughs> grabbed him and like tell him to get his earphones off he's like well who is this guy what the hell are you doing and I was like so since you San Lorenzo like and he's like what's going on here? I was like, like yeah, yeah I'm a San Lorenzo fan and he's like looked at me and like are you English I was like yeah he's like what so he's equally shocked then he's like why is this guy stopped me in the street to talk about my team over in Argentina um, but then you had a chap just like one minute mid midway through his run, exchange numbers because we couldn't believe we're both San Lorenzo fans, arranged to go for a pint. And now I still see him a lot. And he's a big part of our kind of um, little group of, I guess, five or ten San Lorenzo fans here in London. And he was just found from just running through the street wearing a San Lorenzo shirt. And it's such a remarkable thing that I had to just sort of flag him down and stop him. Um, and lucky I did. Yeah. So well, he's a, he's a top boy. Yeah, it's nice. And that's a good thing about, I guess, having that finding or ending up with a club that's off the not on the top shelf of clubs, you know? Because if it's like, um, it must be nice if you're like the Barcelona fans in London or uh, the Napoli fans, other big clubs, but there's going to be a lot of them. And you might see another fan and go, oh, nice, cool. But they're big clubs and big brands with fans all over the world. You see a San Lorenzo shirt, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's remarkable. So it's just your it's instant friendship. I have the same when I've been in other countries, in Argentina and Colombia, and I found like the one Charlton fan in the city at that time. And you'll see them in the street and you'll stop and you just start speaking to them. And so it's a connection from nothing, just of a shared football club. Because it's such a niche thing, such a specific thing, that it's enough to build a bond from just like that. And and yeah, that's the kind of, that's the beauty, I guess, of supporting a club like San Lorenzo. And the communities really look after each other, actually. And all over Europe, there's these little, they call them Peñas, which is the kind of supporter groups. And they meet up every year in a European city. So all the kind of fans from all over Europe, about probably about 100 in total, a few hundred meet and have a big barbecue, watch a game together. And yeah, the fact that you are these kind of faraway fans so far from like the motherland of Argentina, mm-hmm. just 
brings about a bond in a community. And um, yeah, it's very cool. Biggest ones would be with Charlton Athletic because it's my it's my home club and it's my the number one. It's the the love of my life, you know. Um, and us winning in the last second at Wembley last year to get promoted from League One was actually the best moment of my life. I wouldn't say that to my wife, but as a concentrated <laughs> moment of euphoria, that did uh, outdo the wedding. Um, but with San Lorenzo, it was probably that crazy first year of being a fan when we ended up winning the Libertadores which winning the equivalent of the Champions League is always going to be a massive deal. But because San Lorenzo managed to go his whole history without winning it and had this long wait, everyone in Argentina would always taunt San Lorenzo for being this club that hadn't won this trophy. Um, and it was kind of, I'd just come home from Argentina. I'd fall in love with the country. I was missing my friends there. I was missing the city. I was at my parents' house watching San Lorenzo at three in the morning playing this final. And yeah, they beat Nacional from Paraguay. It's a two-legged thing. They won 1-0 at San Lorenzo. And you're watching, and I was a little bit drunk, and you're watching absolute euphoria. Everyone in Argentina is crying. All the players are crying. And it's because it's so mixed up in my relationship with Argentina and the, the time I kind of had there, which I love so much, that I started crying as well. So it's this, this whole, it's not just the fact that San Lorenzo won this trophy. It's this whole connection with this like faraway land. and just kind of broke down, but it, it was brilliant. And it's just such a lucky coincidence that in my first year of supporting this club, I've stumbled into the easily the best moment in its entire 100 year history and it's still talked about all the time so yeah even though that was one of the times I was watching in England rather than from Argentina it was a great great moment it's brilliant because they're so shocked that um you're a kind of Englishman who's into this team who's another San Lorenzo fan they're so kind of like happy and shocked and surprised that they kind of want to reward you they want to give you stuff straight away and they just throw gifts at you almost it's bizarre I was in Morocco for the Club World Cup as I mentioned earlier and this guy in a bar just couldn't believe that this guy in, in broken Spanish is singing San Lorenzo songs with him and is his fan that travelled to watch them. He's like, this is amazing. Just ripped the San Lorenzo hoodie he was wearing off his back and put it on me straight away. Like, this is yours. You have to take it. And he's left in like a cold night with just a T-shirt because he's giving me his hoodie. I was in a taxi in, in Argentina in like the early days. Same sort of thing. It turns out the taxi driver is a massive San Lorenzo fan. And he couldn't believe that this young English guy was taking such an interest in his club and was going to games and supporting them. Opens the club compartment and gives me this little, um, this mini flag. And yeah, you get lots of things like that. And there's a, a really nice friend um, called Laura in Argentina sorted out getting a signed shirt for me, which is nice. But her brother organised it and her brother's a massive Huracan fan of the biggest rival. So the poor guy had to arrange a shirt to go to San Lorenzo's training ground, big rival, all these players he hates, to could sign a San Lorenzo shirt, which he hates and get it to me as a kind of leaving present from like my main time in Argentina. So yeah, I'm lucky to have some very good, some very good mementos here actually. Fair bit of time, 2013. Yeah, seven years now, yeah. Yeah, that's quite a journey, man. What has it meant to you? It means everything to me without sounding too cliche. It's, it's the best decision I ever made. People who live in other cities, um, often talk about the great experience and that connection you get with new people. But uh, supporting a football club, and going to games makes that connection so profound because you're part of this kind of more niche community. You're not just like with the other expats in the city. You're part of this new community, new family. Somewhere like football in Argentina, which has lived so passionately and with so much kind of like culture and folklore around it. It's an amazing thing to be involved in that most other people, most foreigners in the city wouldn't be able to get and wouldn't ever experience. So, yeah, being part of that was, was the best decision I kind of ever made. And, yeah, I've got my all my closest Argentine friends uh San Lorenzo supporters I've met them through the club um whether they live there or, or live here it helped me learn Spanish because I'm listening to commentators and learning the words from the songs I now speak kind of more or less fluent Spanish and my wife's Colombian and we speak Spanish together and, and we met in Argentina in the days I think it was the day I remember the best almost the best weekend of my life I saw San Lorenzo um win on um uh, Thursday night and on a wake up game I travelled on my own down to like the, the ground of Lanus, a bit of a dangerous part of town and watched a great win there in the cup I met Lily the next night my Colombian wife and I remember singing her like San Lorenzo songs oh. and trying to get her interested in all that um, went to another away game that weekend for San Lorenzo we beat Arsenal or Arsenal mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah a couple of days later we were kind of like together and we've now been to games together and whatever so it's all like the San Lorenzo connection is very much tied in with this kind of best year of my life which is 2016 when I went to games home and away traveled all over went to Chile as well watching San Lorenzo in the kind of Europa League equivalent over there for an away game which is so fun um so yeah you, you experience so much football is the best window you can 
ever have to other cultures, other histories, other languages. And, and then football clubs and support, you just learn even more and meet more people. And it's, yeah, it's for all those reasons, it's, it's kind of it's kind of committing, not consciously committing to the club. So I'd say it kind of sucked me in. Being involved with them is kind of the best thing I've ever done in my life. It's, it's been great. It's so great because you can very easily start a conversation, have something so relatable, you know, and, and, and I wonder sometimes about, you know, in this time right now, you know, and I'm sure uh, London is having a lot of these protests, something like this, you know, football, especially it's such a great uh, instrument to bring people together. You don't realize how, how important it is for such a, you know, I mean, it's just a game, but how important it is, the role that it plays in our lives and also how, you know, you, sometimes people get judged for, for being uh, a fan, you know, I mean, how can you be a fan? You don't have the local context and things like that. But that's why the, the, the questions that I kind of ask about uh, games that you felt elated about and disappointed about, chances are that some local person will feel exactly the same way about those games like you did. It doesn't matter that you were, you know, so many miles apart. But in those moments, people will really understand what it means to be a faraway fan. It's no different. I mean, it, it would be amazing to go for the local games. But it's in many ways, those moments kind of bring you together. And that's something so relatable across all sort of fans. Absolutely. You're completely right. It's very well put. And yeah, because I guess when I'm going to Charlton here, you are seeing people like you. They're from the same areas. You're seeing your, set, your family and stuff. And that's part of what's very special about it. I love that. It represents what you're about. But the thing of being a far away fan and having this kind of second passion, or it might be a primary passion for a lot of people, is going across whole time zones and whole languages. And you're right. Why would I have anything in common with someone in like the outskirts of Buenos Aires at like, you know, it's like hot summer's day for them. It's a cold evening in the UK here. And yet we've, you know, we've just lost one nil to some crap club like Aldo Civi. And we're both there sitting in misery. And like, it's, it's so weird, but and we both kind of vent on Twitter together at the same time. Then you're following each other and you've built this connection from nothing, which you would have no reason or right to. And like you say, when the world's as it is, those little unifying things um, are amazing. And football and football support is the ultimate in that, I think, for those connections. So, yeah, no, it's completely right, everything you said. Will. I just want to say thank you for coming on to the pod. It's been great. And the way you spoke about the club and, you know, the club itself, uh, it's given me such a feeling about wanting to someday go to Argentina and just, just experience that. You should. You should. If anyone interested in, in football support and football culture, if you like, uh, there's not a better city in the world than Buenos Aires and Argentina to kind of experience that. And yeah, I'm very thankful that, that I've been able to. And yeah, thanks for a fantastic chat. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk about it. I know I get quite overexcited and ramble on, so hopefully I haven't been too tedious with it. But um, no, lovely no. conversation, mate. No, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what really makes it because, you know, the I mean, the football, yeah, I mean, you can talk about that, but... But it's that that fan culture and these moments that I'd really kind of enjoy talking about. Yeah, for me, that's more interesting than, than you know, stats and, uh, you know, goals, assists and um, whatever, points per game averages to work out seasons and whatever. They, they're the kind of inconsequential parts of football for me. It's like, without saying cliche, it's the off-the-pitch stuff and the human connections and the histories and the communities which really kind of bring it to life and give it that extra kind of special level um, and yeah, and, and and following a team from far away that's part of a completely kind of alien, different culture is is a nice way to experience all that and discover that. So yeah, the, the premise of the podcast is is great, and it's it's a lovely thing to dig into with you. Cool man, thanks so much again, Will. Cool, good stuff, Sean. Nice to speak to you, mate. Take care. Take care. See you later.